0: As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us by his spirit. Let us pray. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Continue your steadfast love to those who know you. And your righteousness to the upright of heart may your spirit shine in our hearts now through his word to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of god and the face of jesus christ in whose name we pray Amen. amen please be seated and please turn with me in mark's gospel to mark chapter 4. mark chapter 4 at verse 35 made of the pew bibles you'll find that on page 1068 Uh, Mark is the second book of the New Testament between Matthew and Luke. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And so we'll read our reading beginning at verse 35 and reading to the end of the chapter as we read about Jesus calming the storm. And let us pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. On that day when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. As we've had the privilege of going through chapter 4, we've spent a lot of time thinking about the teaching that Jesus did. That's how chapter 4 began, with his great words, uh, teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And now here at the end of the chapter, we have this great display of divine power and glory in the miracle of Jesus quieting the storm. Um, And it's going to begin a new series of events in the book of Mark, uh, a series of events that talk about the power of Jesus Christ over our enemies. The power of Jesus will be revealed more and more in the works he does. And this is the first of a series of work that show Jesus' power over our enemies. That part of the purpose of the coming of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ is the destruction of the enemies that are against us and the establishment of us in peace in his kingdom. Christ has power over our enemies, and that's good news. And as as Mark continues to go on, we see that news getting greater and greater. I liked what one commentator said, there's a mounting sense of excitement as the authority of Jesus is tested by and proves victorious over ever more challenging situations of need. Um, And the first of the challenging situations that his people face is this great storm that they face on the Sea of Galilee and how Jesus is able to vanquish the powers that are hostile to his people and deliver them through them. And so Mark tells this story in an interesting way. I think there's a lot of different ways we could look at this this story as Mark recounts the true story of what Jesus did here. Um, But there are three questions in in this passage, and I want to look at this passage by way of looking at those three questions. Uh, First, there is the question of care that the disciples asked Jesus. Do you not care that we are perishing? The second is the question of faith that Jesus asked the disciples. Have you still, do you not yet have faith? Are you still unbelieving? And finally, the question of identity. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That last, that last question is the easiest to answer, uh, so it'll be the shortest of our points. So when we get to the third point, if it seems like we've gone on and on, don't despair. Um, Boys and girls, I bet you already know the answer to that question. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Uh, He is Jesus. He is the Lord. Uh, We'll get to there in a moment. But first, we want to look at this question of care uh, that the the disciples posed to Jesus. It seems something of an unthinkable question. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That's why the title of our sermon this morning is Does Jesus Care? And that might seem to be an unthinkable question to ask. Does Jesus care? Of course Jesus cares. Uh, And so how could they ask this question? Why would we ask that question this morning? Um, We wanna think about how the question arises. It arises in the midst of circumstances. And the circumstances are spelled out for us in verses 35 through 37. This question of care arises in the context of a crisis. Uh, That's what's happening when this question is asked. Uh, Verse 1 began to describe in chapter 4 all that Jesus was teaching, and now we have the end of that day. Um, Preachers and seminarians who are here, if you ever think your work is hard, Jesus preached all day. Um, Maybe it just seems like we preach all day at times, but we don't. We preach half hour, 40 minutes at a time. Jesus preached all day, and at the end of that day, he says, we're going across to the other side. We're going to go to a different side of the Lake of Sea of Galilee and preach there. And so they, he'd been speaking, you remember, in this small boat. He'd been using it as sort of a pulpit set off. And we're told the disciples just get in the boat with him, and they set out for the other side of the sea. Um, the Sea of Galilee is really just a large lake. It's about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. Um, It sits below sea level in a kind of basin surrounded by high mountains. Um, And because of that, sometimes what could happen on the Sea of Galilee was winds would come over those hills and be sort of pushed through the valleys, not unlike when we get Santa Ana's, when the wind comes from the right direction over the mountains, pushing through the canyons and making great wind. And when the wind hit the lake, that could cause big storms. And so storms are... You know, their, their climate was kind of like our climate, so there are many times you could be on the Sea of Galilee, and it's very calm. Um, I was recently on the Sea of Galilee, and I had a very Christ-like experience. I fell asleep in the back of a boat. Um, and the reason I did was because it was so hot, and it was so still, and the lake was so calm, and the sun was beating down on my neck, I just sort of nodded off. Um, and it was on the sea, it was kind of hard to believe that this lake could ever get so whipped up. That you would fear for your lives. And when that happened, that usually happened during the afternoon. That was usually the most dangerous time to be on the water. The safest time was usually in the evening. Um, That's when the fishermen would go out in the evening because it was the safest time to be on the water. And so we know there are several experienced fishermen experienced with the Lake of Galilee. And so when they set out in the evening, they probably suspect that there's no danger in particular in being on the water at this time. However, a very rare evening storm whips up and they are on the water and it becomes very dangerous. We're told that a great windstorm erupts on the lake Um, And because of that, it's not the kind of boat you're designed to be in in a storm, right? That's why boats that are designed for lakes, you don't usually take out into the ocean. They're not designed for that. Very interestingly, in 1986, they actually found a boat dating back to Jesus' time in the Sea of Galilee, when the water was extremely low. And that boat was only about 27 feet long. It was only about seven and a half feet wide. And it was only four feet tall. Um, and if you think of a boat with four-foot sides, and weighed down with people, sitting lower in the water, any kind of storm that's whipped up on the sea is not good for that kind of boat. And this is a great storm. And we're told that even these experienced fishermen are panicking about the state of the boat. The waves are so high, the water is beginning to fill the boat, and there's a danger that the boat will sink. The waves are crashing over the side, filling the boat with water, and the disciples, even despite the experience of some of them, are terrified and panicked. Maybe you've been on an airplane flight where things don't seem to be going well, the plane seems to be shaking, and you kind of look at the flight attendants and the flight crew and try to get, are they worried, or is it just me? Now if the flight crew started running up and down the aisles in a panic, or the pilot came out of the cabin and said, we're all going to die. That would be time to panic, right, on the flight. That would not be good news for those of us sitting on the flight. And so it's not good news that the disciples are convinced there's no hope of bailing this ship out. There's no hope that they are not going down. That's That's the crisis that they are facing and we see the we see the level of their concern when they come in and talk to Jesus and how they describe their situation in verse 37 we are perishing this is it even the experienced sailors don't think they can save the ship they're terrified and they're panicked and that's the context of this question do you care Right? It's the question of where is Christ in the middle of this crisis? They find him asleep. Um, Asleep, no doubt, because he's exhausted from his day's work. It reminds us of the humanity of our Lord. But how do the disciples perceive it? They perceive Christ's actions as a lack of care. A lack of care for himself. But moreover, a lack of care for them. Do you care that we're dying? Someone pointed out, this is not the language of respectful address to Jesus. This is the language of panic. Teacher, are we to drown for all you care? It's a a real question of, does Jesus care? What is this a scene of? It's a scene of human powerlessness we are at our wits end there's nothing we can do to save ourselves that's what led one commentator to say mark must have been had must have had psalm 107 in the back of his mind as he's recounting what happens here psalm 107 23 through 27 we read some went down to the sea in ships doing great business on the water doing business on the great waters They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down into the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and were at their wits' end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. What a vivid picture! right, mounting up to heaven, sinking down, reeling like drunken men, the boat's shifting left and right, and they're at their wit's end, they can't save it, the ship is going down. Have you ever had a moment of crisis like that? I don't mean you're on a stormy sea, maybe some of the Navy sailors and Marines here could tell stories of being on on dangerous seas, I don't mean a moment of crisis where you've been literally in a boat like this. I mean feeling like you're at your wits end. Feeling like you're beyond your ability to save what's going on and you're perishing. You see no way out. You see no way you can help yourself. You feel every bit of your powerlessness before what you are facing. And what can be worse at times for the people of God to feel so powerless and to know that God is so powerful and to have this terrible question arise in your mind, does he care? I'm perishing, does he care? We can have that feeling, even though we know it's not true. We know that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. That he knows what's going on. And we know that he's powerful to save. But we worry does he care? Because I'm perishing. Where is he? Will he help? Um, we can all have that. And how does Jesus respond to that? To that question of care? He turns it around completely and then poses a question of faith Jesus answers the question do you care by an undeniable display of divine power that prompts him to ask them the question do you not believe because what does Christ know he knows what they should have known God is powerful over the seas In the Old Testament, that's one of the demonstrations of the power of God. That he is so powerful that he commands the seas. What happens in Psalm 107 when the sailors cry out to God in their trouble? The psalmist tells us that he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves and the sea were hushed. God is a God powerful over those things. God can do this because He is the all-powerful Lord of creation. And that was celebrated in the Psalms as well. God's power over the seas was seen as a demonstration of His awe-inspiring power. In Psalm 65, 7 and 8, we read of God who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. He's awesome in power. He can still the sea. That is an unmatched power in all of creation. That's what Psalm 89 celebrates, just after the portion we read as our call to worship in verses 8 and 9. We read, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord? With your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. It's testimony in the Old Testament to God's power. And what does Jesus do? He gets up and does it. He gets up and does what only God can do. And shows that power that is unmatched in all of creation by commanding the wind and the waves to be still and they are. He speaks a word of command and they obey. And we have to see something of this event in our minds. The howling wind, the raging sea, the panicking sailors doing everything they can. The disciples who don't know how to sail, probably trying to, desperately to bail water out of the boat. Everyone, Everywhere there is noise and there's commotion. And Jesus speaks into it and everything stops. It's suddenly calm. And not just calm, Mark says, a great Calm. Comes on the water. Not a, not a ripple on the surface. Not a breath of air. Blowing anywhere. It could be, it could be the scene that Samuel Taylor Coleridge describes in his rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. They were as idle as a painted ship upon a painted sea. Totally still. Totally silent at the voice of command of Christ, and then what does he turn and say to his disciples? The questions that he asked them in verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Um, It's interesting, Jesus doesn't use the word for fear that is often used for fear. In the New Testament, the word maybe has more the sense of cowardice. Why are you being so cowardly? It's an interesting word because in a lot of, of contexts, cowardice has to do with the idea of running away when there's nothing to fear. It's sort of like a proverb that says, the wicked flees though no one pursues. That's a picture of cowardice. There's really nothing to be afraid of. Why are you afraid when there's nothing to be afraid of? Jesus says. We might say, now wait a minute, that was a, it was a great storm. The, the boat was going down, everyone was about to perish. How could Jesus ask why they were being cowardly? Wasn't that a real thing to be feared? And that's why the, the second question follows on the first. Do you not yet have faith? It was a life-threatening storm. But the life-sustaining Lord was in the boat with them. It wasn't that the crisis was not something that should have been feared. But it's something that should have been looked at with the eyes that said, yes, the crisis is great, but Christ is with us. The crisis is massive. We are perishing, but He is powerful. It's the cowardice that comes from not having faith. Faith here particularly means the confidence in the care of God and the confidence of the care of God that is come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we have a Father in heaven who cares for us. Maybe it wasn't just exhaustion that allowed Jesus to sleep through this massive storm. Maybe it was the fact that he had the eyes of faith to say the storm is great, my Father in heaven is greater. The storm is great, but my Father in heaven cares for me. And that's what the problem was that's where the cowardice arises from the lack of faith the lack of confidence that god will provide for his people that god will care for his people that he is present and active to protect them and particularly here that he is present and active to protect them in the person of his son the lord of life is here And what is Mark telling us? That in the crisis of human powerlessness, there is a powerful Christ who will overcome. That's the hope we have. That's the trust we have in the face of things against which we are powerless, that he is not. That he is powerful and can be trusted. That's the glorious good news that's on display through the chapters of Mark. Christ has come with power. The kingdom of heaven that's coming is powerful against this age of death. Christ is powerful against our enemies. That's why from an early time, Christians adopted this as as the picture of the church in the world. A boat in the midst of a storm. And often said, the hope for the church in the midst of the storm is that Jesus is in the boat. Early Christian art would show that in the midst of the church in persecution. It was the, sto- the, sea- the, the boat on the stormy sea with Jesus in the stern. And with Jesus with us, there's nothing to fear. He cares for us, and He's powerful to save. This miracle is still for us today. It's still for us in those moments of crisis when we are tempted to ask, Does God care? Does Christ care that I am perishing? This is the answer. Not only does he care, but he has more than enough power to save. To deliver us out of every difficulty. That when that question arises in our minds, does Jesus care that we are perishing? His question should arise to counter that. Why are we so cowardly? Do we not yet have faith in the love of the Son of God? Does Jesus allow His dearly loved people to founder and perish? In the midst of the stormy seas of life, do we forget that Jesus is in the boat with us? He's not far off, He's with us, always to the very end of the age. When we're tempted to ask, does He care that we're perishing, do we forget the cross? Do we forget the empty grave that speak to us of how much he loves and cares for us? That that Christ who is with us always in power to the very end of the age is the lamb who died and the life who rose and who died for us and who rose for us. He cares that we are perishing and he intervenes with his power to save us from our enemies. He is always with us in power to the very end of the age. And if we know that, why would we be afraid? Why would we lack confidence in His care? We have to learn how to say with the psalmist in Psalm 43 verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This question of faith then leads to the final question of identity. The last question asked in our text in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Um, This question reminds us of an important fundamental truth. What makes all the difference between cowardice and confidence in the face of the crisis? It's knowing who Jesus is. Knowing who Jesus is and knowing who he is for us makes all the difference. Because even though the disciples had had revealed to them the mystery of the kingdom of God, as we saw so often in the parables, they were made to understand things that the crowd couldn't see. They had the mystery of the kingdom of God revealed to them, but there still is a sense in which they don't know the king of that kingdom. They haven't come clearly to see who Jesus is. That explains the great fear with which they fear him in verse 41. This is the third time Mark uses the word great. In this passage in verse 35 there was a great storm in verse 39 it's replaced by a great calm and that great calm produces in them a great fear if they were terrified and panicked in the midst of the storm they become now more afraid in the midst of the stillness because they've seen the power they've seen the power of God On display in one sense that's an appropriate reaction when we get a revelation to us of the power and the glory of God someone says appropriate response of humans faced with a display of divine power or glory to be afraid it's utterly beyond what we know it's utterly beyond what we understand but another sense their great fear betrays a lack of understanding And we can be thankful that Mark has set us up in this gospel to know the answer to this question. Just as quickly as as you boys and girls know the answer to the question. Who is this that the wind and the seas obey Him? He is Jesus. He's the Son of God. That's why the wind and the seas obey Him. Mark has set us up to know the answer to these questions when they're asked. Because what did he say in verse 1 of his gospel? This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This person who's come into the world is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah, appointed by his Father, anointed by his Spirit, to be the Savior of the world, to be the King of glory come, to bring the kingdom of heaven with him. That's who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. The second person of the Trinity come incarnate. And this miracle testifies clearly to who he is. The wind and the seas obey him. Do you know why they obey him? They've heard that voice before. That was the divine let there be that spoke them into existence at the beginning. They sprang into existence because he commanded. He is the incarnate word of God. When God said let there be, he was speaking that through his son. The wind and the waves know that voice. He commanded them to be, and when he tells them to be quiet, they obey him, just as they obeyed him when he said, come into existence. It's the same God. Now come in the flesh. Now come in the flesh and power. Now come in the flesh and power for his people to conquer their enemies. The wind and the waves heard that voice They knew it still had power. It had power in the beginning. It had the power in the fullness of time. And friends, it has power now. That word still has power to still the enemies and silence them. It's the same kinds of things he's been saying to demons. Be still and be muzzled. He can say that to the creation as well. It shows they don't really yet understand Jesus because if they understood this power would not make them afraid, it would make them filled with joy. Because this great power is not a power that has come against us. This power is a great power that is here for us. The king is with us and he's for us. And that great power that he bears is power enough for all the enemies against which we are powerless. To save us out of every crisis and deliver us safely into His heavenly kingdom. And I hope that the Spirit of God has opened your heart and eyes to know this Jesus so that you would not face the world with cowardice, running away from things that need not be run from, but that you would have confidence to know who this is, whom even the wind and the waves obey. Because these things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in His name. May the Holy Spirit grant that all to us by the power of His Word. Amen. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you as a cowardly people. So often we, in the midst of crisis, see our own powerlessness and are aware that we are perishing before the face of enemies that are too powerful for us. And it can ring from us the question, do you care? And we thank you, Father, that you cared enough about us to send your son into the world, your your only son, the son that you loved, and delivered him up for us all that we would be saved. We thank you that he cared that we were perishing and so did not account equality with you a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself of glory and became humbled to be like us, to be made in the form of a servant like us in every way except for sin, to know exhaustion and to face the difficult enemies that your people have faced throughout the centuries, but to face them with His power. um, To overcome in His humanity by the power of His divinity. And we thank You for windows into that glory that You've given us, like this miracle, that open our eyes to see just how powerful our Lord Jesus Christ is. That show us the power that is for us. And so when we are tempted to be cowardly in the midst of the crisis that comes to us in this life, when we feel that we are perishing, when we feel helpless, might we not start trying to bail out the boat ourselves or think that we can trim the sails or man the oars and navigate our way through, but would we cry out to you as the God who is powerful to save? Would you remind us that Jesus is in the boat? And if the light is with us, what darkness do we need to be afraid of? Help us to hope in him. Thank you for displaying his power and his care for us, not only in the wind and the sea, but in the cross and in the grave. Thank you that he is the lamb that died for our sins and the life that was raised for our justification. And we thank you that he will deliver us safely out of every evil deed and bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.